What's up, everybody? Are you in the market for a new steel mace? Look no further than Adex Maces and Clubs. Go to adexclub.com, place your order, and have them delivered right to your house. Adjustable steel mace made right here in the United States. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody, the Steel Mace Nation podcast, fitness podcast. But today we're going to be jumping into another realm of thought, a different kind of conversation. You know, this has happened before on the podcast. You know, we like to talk about other things sometimes besides fitness and Steel Mace. And I came across Jeremy Griffin, uh, who's my guest today. Uh, I came across you on, on you know, Instagram's interesting. It starts feeding you things that you're interested in. And um, at first, I just thought you were one of these guys who is going to like, you know, oh, buy my book and uh, and you'll be a millionaire. And I said, no, no. Uh, now I'm seeing these posts. And then I was checking out your podcast and your most recent podcast is something I want to talk about. Um, but you... You got some good stuff going on. So we're going to get into this, but I just want to give you the opportunity to say hello to everybody. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Peace, everyone. I appreciate all of your energy, whoever's going to listen to this. And uh, we promise not to disappoint. I don't think it will disappoint. Um, what I want everybody to know is this stuff that we're going to talk about today is really important. It is about you know your financial wealth. But Jeremy, I will let you know that my my audience is an interesting group. Steel Mace people um, are very into conscious thought and and manifestation and all these kind of things like that. They really they're spiritual people. It's a it's a great group. Um, kind of small, kind of intimate. Everybody kind of knows knows each other and open minded. So I invite everybody to really pay attention to this one and. Um, Let's go right down with um, – let's start off with just your background on economics, just so everybody gets an understanding of where you're coming from. Okay. Give me one second. Just totally realized we had the wrong angle going on. All right, cool. So you want me to get into like how I got into the financial stuff? Yeah, just briefly because I, I do want to um, – I do want people to understand that, it, you know, you have where your knowledge is coming from so that they literally take you more seriously. I know you got it, got uh, it, got it. You already explained it. I list, I've heard it on your podcast. I want people to know right now. Okay. Yeah. So my journey is a bit unorthodox. Um, I've been an entrepreneur since I was 20. I just turned 30. So it's been an interesting decade. Um, the business that I now run is my fourth business. And um, I was in college for, uh, well, like many people, I didn't know why I was in college. <laughs> so I was trying all the different, all the different degrees and I ended up landing on business because, you know, the, the simple thought was, oh, well, if you want to make money, then you need a business degree. That's probably going to be the easiest way to make money. So that, that was the extent of my thought process. So within business, I hopped around, right? I was like, I'm going to major in accounting. And I tried that and I was like, this is fucking, I'm going to blow my brains out. So I switched to uh, 
more like business finance. I'm like, oh God, this is pretentious. So then I switched to like business marketing and I'm like, okay, this is kind of my shit. I like this. But at the same time, all they're training you to do is be a really good employee. And it was very obvious to me by my junior year in college that I didn't stand a chance in a cubicle. And I haven't, I had never had a job at the time. Um, and I still have never had a job in my life. So I don't know what that life is like. And so I knew even before I graduated college that there was no plan B for me. Um, I ended up getting my degree much more so for my parents, but I immediately came home and I started uh, my first business, which was a fitness business, uh, personal training, and then online coaching. As I started to build up the page that you now follow, it's the same page. Um, I started that probably nine years ago or something. So um, I know that's not directly related to how I have an understanding of economics, but that's going to tie in because it's important to understand that I, I've walked an unorthodox path and that I immediately went into entrepreneurship even when I didn't know what I was doing. So I moved back home with my mom and I'm strapped with student loan debt. And then shortly after that, car loan debt. So I have nothing to show for myself. My mom's just helping me out. And I went kind of the tough path, the entrepreneurial path, eating shit, living below my means while my friends are going to festivals and stuff like that. And so when I was 20 years old, I got involved in a multi-level marketing company. And while that didn't work out, like most stories of people getting involved in them, uh, what it did do is it gave me a hell of an education. And so I'm 20 years old and I'm learning from Zig Ziglar, Tony Robbins, Robert Kiyosaki, Bob Proctor, um, John Maxwell. And I'm also surrounded by 20, 21 and 22 year olds making anywhere from 20 to $200,000 a month passively driving company paid for BMWs and all this type of thing. It shattered my beliefs around money. It shattered my beliefs around wealth. And it opened my eyes to the fact that even though realistically that wasn't my vehicle, I saw something that I could never unsee. And so from that day forward, um, it was only a matter of time to how I was going to figure this out. And so that's me at 20. And I was very... Um, I was very fascinated with trying to figure out what do they know that I don't? What do my, my whole thing now is like secrets of the 1%, right? Like they live completely opposite to how, you know, Joe Schmo, your neighbor lives. It's completely 180 degrees different. So 20 years old, I, I go all into personal development and I just start reading and reading and reading. And so really the answer I'm giving you is a mix. If you wanted a short-winded answer, I don't give those. But part of the answer is a shitload of personal development, a lot of books, and self-education. And the other part of the answer that I explained in the other part of my journey is because I learned all of this through experience. Um, I've lost a lot of money. I've tried a lot of different businesses, I've done different things. I've hired many different mentors, some of which were complete sunk costs and some were good investments. And I did all of that to slowly learn the ropes and try to figure out how are these people playing the game? How does this stuff work? How do the financial markets work? What moves markets? Uh, then starting to learn a little bit more about credit and debt and how that actually works. First off at more of a corporate level and 
financial market level understanding. And then you can go a level deeper if you look at some of my other content around like the United States corporation and starting to get into some of those rabbit holes that I don't know if a lot of people are ready for, but um, it better yeah, be. so that that's kind of what my journey has been like. Um, I never intended, and I, I say this all the time, but for your audience, I never intended to teach wealth. Uh, I hate the whole like guru thing or like the I'm here, you're here talking down to people. Right. That's that's not my whole spiel for whatever reason. I landed in this place, but even in the, I, it sounds like we'll end up talking about my community at some point, but, but even in uh, the creation of my community, I, I started it <clears throat> a month before the world shut down, a month before COVID was announced. So it was just a random thing. Yeah. And I didn't start it as a finance group. I didn't start it as a wealth group. I started it as an all around improving your life group. And it evolved into that because our students over and over and over were giving us feedback that one of the biggest areas they were struggling was financially. And it just so happened that no one knew me as that guy, but secretly behind the scenes when I was a fitness coach and when I was an online trainer and then when I was a life coach and then when I was doing business coaching, secretly behind the scenes, I was never talking about it. But my biggest passion was finances. I always loved uh, stocks and finances and money and just financial literacy. Like I just loved that. So it was, it seemed like an, an opportune time. And all of a sudden my students got to see a different side of me and things just took off from there. Great. And, uh, I, what I notice, um, I'm glad you pointed out you're not like a guru guy because that was the whole point of me asking you to do your introduction. You know, why not let you, speak for yourself but that was exactly what my first impression was like oh this is going to be one of those guru guys and it's not yeah. that's not you at all and and that's what i want to establish before we get into our conversation you did mention um something that i want to talk about your most recent podcast i, I think you you're doing two parts and uh you still have to release the second part right are you ref which which uh, this would is this be audio or the one i did with aaron on video Oh, no, I'm sorry. This is the audio one, Sovereignty USA, Inc. I, oh. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a two-parter. Okay, the other one so, drops tomorrow. All right. All right. So, um, I mean, there will be a little bit of a, uh, a gap here because by the time I get this up, the two parts will be out already. I want people to go listen to this. Um, and, you know, it was good for me to listen to because the first time I heard about what you were talking about, in this USA Inc. episode, um, I did come across an old video, a grainy video of some guy doing like a lecture somewhere. And uh, he had a, a crowd full of people. It looked like it was maybe filmed in the 80s, maybe the 90s, right? Mm. It was very informative, but the problem is it's kind of old. And I don't think young people uh, are going to gravitate to that kind of video. And you did a podcast about this same stuff, but also you injected new stuff that I didn't hear about before, like um, where on the dollar bill it says, in God we trust. How interesting is that? Um, and, you know, maybe you could talk about that a little bit, but uh, I want people to listen to this podcast because you do a really good job on your podcast. The sound quality is good. Um, it's called... Um, help me out. What's the name of your podcast? The Conscious Wealth Podcast. The Conscious Wealth Podcast. Yes. So, um, 
in this particular episode, you talk about something that is mind blowing. And at, let's start off with this before we get into. It. I just want you to talk about it a little bit, and then let's let everybody go to your podcast and actually listen to it. I don't want to spend the whole time talking about it, but before you uh, just give us a brief uh, on it, my first thing to you is I've mentioned this to people before, how we're a corporation, how we're basically owned by the Bank of England, <laughs> and and people think I'm a nut. So uh, you do a much better job of explaining it, So, but my question to you is, how do you know this stuff is true? Mm. Well, as annoying of a response as this is, I do believe that perception creates reality. And so for the camp of people who are dead set that this can't possibly be true, in a way it's not. Okay. And for the camp of people who are dead set that every conspiracy is true <laughs> or whatever it may be, um, in their reality it is. And um, from a certain lens, if, you have, if you've ever dabbled in like metaphysics or quantum physics, you create that reality. So <clears throat> that's first and foremost how I look at things. In terms of um, being a little bit more practical, I like to start off with history, and that's why I really liked the episode and was stoked to have uh, Brett Pike on, uh, who you also had, Classical Learner. Yes. Because few, yeah, few people are as uh, well-studied in uh, accurate history as he is. And so for me, I start off with the history. Because if you just go off of a lot of these uh, more gimmicky things, right? Like we like we hear about, uh, there's a trust that we all have that has a hundred billion. You hear different values, but a hundred million, hundred billion value, and all you have to do is reclaim it, and then you have access to that. And I don't know if you've heard that, but that's called your sesquivian. There's a lot of these more like what I would call um, fluffy or conspiratorial claims in the space that get mixed in with what I would consider to be irrefutable, practical, documented things. And that's where, that's where it becomes easy to kind of Kanye someone and just write them off because 80% of what they're saying is true, but they throw in some extra something and then it's like, oh, they're completely, they've lost it. And, and that is what does communities like the sovereignty space a serious um, injustice and so i try to be very particular with what i speak on and what i go on um, the record about i think there's a lot of promotion of false claims and such so to come full circle and kind of answer like how do you know it to be true a lot of this stuff um, you don't and that's why i focus on uh, consumer law the reason that i teach some of the more basics that some of the more radical aspects of the sovereignty people also teach is just so we can have an understanding of how did we get here. But as soon as I start teaching that, you know, like on the last YouTube video I did with Aaron, all of the comments are immediately like, how do I kill my straw man and remove myself from the system and claim my trust? And it's like, I'm, I don't teach any of that because oh, yeah. I can't even prove there is a trust. 
I just know that I just know some of the um, historical timelines. I know that at one point we were a nation. We were an actual land mass. We did actually have sovereign land. And then I know it, we were converted and we were sold to foreign insurgents. And like you said, um, the crown, the Vatican still owns us. So it's very ironic when people think that they're like pro-America. It's like they're actually pro-Europe, if you're going to say that. <laughs> um, so, so some of those rabbit holes I just lay out because they're an important foundation to understand how did we get here. But in terms of the actual practicality of what I teach, like behind the scenes and with my students, we focus on something called consumer law, which I don't think um, gets talked about enough. Consumer law uh, is the, if you just look, look up USC, that stands for United States Code. It's a body of law that was written by Congress. And um, the whole purpose of this body of law is to protect consumers, hence why it's called consumer law. And so anyone participating in the public systems are consumers. So you don't need to do all of this stuff about like, you know, no longer using driver's licenses and license plates and trying to battle cops anytime they pull you over and doing all these fancy things that we don't fully know how well they work um, versus my approach and how we kind of run our community is I like to go with what I can prove and what I know works. And consumer law we know works because Congress wrote it versus a lot of these other modalities. You're you're taking a guy off YouTube's claims and you're trying it. You know what I mean? <laughs> or like you're listening to this 80-year-old who just came out of jail, who's studied his whole time in jail, and he's telling you like something that you're going to take full liability for. Yeah. So that's where it's like, it's, you know, it's a fine line and my reputation is important to me. So I'm very careful with what I promote and what I don't promote. All right. So you did mention in your podcast um, that you see patterns and it's the patterns that you see that alert you, right? They alert you to what's really going on. And I resonated with that because um, that's exactly what I am doing in life. And that's what I noticed a while ago. The past 30 months has really been a ringer for everybody. And, and, and we've either seen the man behind the curtain or we've gone deeper and into, into our cognitive dissonance. Mm -hmm. And now we're at this point where uh, I feel personally, and that's why I ask you these questions. I feel personally like I have my job to do out there to spread the word and try to help people understand. Um, and I do find myself uh, getting beat up by people. You know, how do you know this? How do you know this? I see patterns. I see patterns. And then when those patterns keep revealing themselves over and over, I say, that's, that's a thing right there. That's where I should be following. And then I look for like overlapping information that kind of goes to the same point coming from different sources. When I see that enough, I start to really believe that I'm on the right track. And then I, I guess like how you just said, there's just stuff that you can't necessarily prove, but we should, shouldn't we really rely on our, cognitive abilities aren't we doing ourselves a disservice when we don't go with our gut instincts on things especially when it comes to understanding the way money works 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think a blend of that is really important. The disclaimer is that a lot of people can't tell the difference between um, limiting beliefs and fear in their intuition. Um, so that is the challenge if when you have a, a populace that's um, so disconnected with themselves, you tell them to follow their intuition, follow their gut, and they're going to follow fear and trauma. Ah, good but th point. That's a whole other topic. <laughs> um, but in general, yes, for, if you're if you're educated, if you're aware, like the way you described the steel mace community, um, if you're a thinker, if you sit with yourself, then yeah, definitely intuition is way more important than logic. I've made videos about like the fourth stage of manifestation that gets missed, and you know everyone wants to talk about the sitting in the chair and visualizing part, but the real important part is that was the intuitive the feminine energy the what you're describing going with your intuition but then the important part that gets left out is then you need the left brain then you need logic to go act it out in the world and we have a whole community of people who are forgetting that part <laughs> so they just keep sitting in the chair and visualizing it and they're, they're missing the logic piece so yeah both are equally very important um but i think you know to be a little bit more clear on this thread that you're touching on um, about people recurringly like challenging you. Um, you know, it's hard when we're dealing with generalities. Um, I would need like more specifics of like, is there a certain thing that you are bringing to them and then they're like consistently challenging it or because a lot of times what I see is like when you start talking about this stuff, uh, depending on the way one goes about it, they just group everything together and they go, how do you prove that? And it's like, well, that's why I answered the way I did where it's like, maybe I've learned to be more particular with what I bring up because if I'm talking to someone, especially who's more skeptical, then I'm only going to bring up things that I can pull up and prove right now. I'm not going to talk about a sesquivir because I'm never going to see that. I'm never going to be able to prove that. I'm never going to touch that. And I find a lot of the space gets caught up in these fairy tales. Um, but what I can prove is, uh, <laughs> what I can prove is uh, the results that I don't speak on publicly uh, very often because I'm, I believe in private. I don't know if you're familiar with public and private, but um, I think privacy is slowly being, well, quickly being taken from us. And um, privacy is a very important part of what it means to be American. But anyway. I come from a place of experience and facts. And so uh, for in my world, it's hard for someone to say, uh, as these young kids say, you're capping. I don't know if you've heard that. No, I don't. <laughs> it means no. you're li like you're lying, like cap. But um, it's hard for them to say that when there have been things that um, have been successfully discharged. I have checks, et cetera. So what do you say to that? You know what I mean? Yeah when I have the proof, but when you don't, when you don't have the proof and you're just like, refer to this social media account, that's when they're like, no, oh, I don't believe that. But if yes. you yourself go discharge a car and you pull up in the car, what the fuck are they saying? You're going to jail. I guess that's all they'd say, but then you don't go to jail. <laughs> right. Right. So that, that's what I've learned to do. I just, I don't talk about shit. I'll show you. That's best way, I guess. Yeah, you got to just lead by example or just show the proof in some way. Uh, or, you know, if if um, we talk about 
this USA Inc. a little bit, mm-hmm. would you be able to with again, I want people to go listen to you to your episode. I don't want them to get right. the information from here. So would you be able to just highlight a few of the things that you talk about and um please do touch upon in God we trust because that was something that I didn't know about. Mm-hmm. And out of my own selfishness, I just want to want you to explain it a little bit more right now. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to keep it super uh, general so that people go check it out in terms of the nitty gritty, but around 1890, early 1900, we had up until that time, we had been an actual constitutional Republic and our, nation found itself in a position where it was facing bankruptcy as a nation. And um, this was seen as a hell of an opportunity for some particular very wealthy families in England and um, Europe. And so they kind of uh, swooped in and seized an opportunity in which they I would imagine the way that it was proposed was you're about to go bankrupt. We can prevent that from happening. No one needs to know, but here's the sleight of hand up until then your body of land, your country has been called United States of America, lowercase. And the sleight of hand is no one's going to know anything changed, but what we're going to do is we're going to incorporate this. So all of a sudden, the United States of America, which represented a landmass when it was lowercase, gets switched to United States of America, Inc., all caps. And they start to be used kind of um, synonymously. People obviously don't know what that means because the education system was also <laughs> ends up being created by Rockefeller, which um, Classical Learner talks a lot about all the ins and outs, if anyone's questioning that watch his videos on it but um so we find ourselves in a position where the debt is bought and um now the united states is sold and converted to a corporation that is owned by some very wealthy families in europe and at the same time what they needed to do because when you take over, let's say that a business is failing and you're, you're going to go in and you're going to buy the business, right? Well, when you buy the business, you're also going to receive control over all of the assets of the business, right? Like let's say the business had inventory and machines and employees. You would basically have a, um, what would be called like a levy on that, on those assets. Uh, you would have control over them until X whatever was paid. And so if you think about a nation, what is the nation's inventory? Any guess? Well, I, I could uh, steal it right from what you said before on the podcast. That would be us people. Yes. And what we output. Exactly. So the people. So now this proposed a tax on the people. How, how are they going to do that? Well, they have to create something called a birth certificate. They have to con- they have to switch you from a blood and flesh natural person, right? From God, answer to no one but God, 
They have to convert you into a corporation the same way they just converted the landmass, the nation into a corporation. Now everything inside of it needs to be commercialized as well. So right around this 1890 to 1911, which was the year the Fed was created, right around these, these, uh, that 20 year period, so much happened. We had, you know, Rockefeller take over the education system. Um, we had all the shit go down with the, the medical system and kicking out holistic medicine and replacing it with Western medicine. And I believe it's called the Flexner report. Um, we had the, uh, the whole situation with the creature from Jekyll Island and these families secretly meeting and coming up with how are we going to essentially take over the world <laughs> like pinky in the brain. And uh, then we had the creation of the Fed and we had all these things happen. We, also in that same time period, we had the creation of birth certificates. They didn't exist before. So, you know, you never needed, uh, you never needed a doctor or a legal contract to prove a human was born. Just think about that. Like, right. The sole reason for that is because as soon as that is signed, you're actually dead. So people think that that in sig uh, signifies birth. It actually signifies death. Because as soon as you get turned from a human to a corporation, you're dead. Corporation literally wow. comes from the root word corpse, corp, oration, dead speak. So that's where this stuff starts to get really deep. So we're born, our parents are so happy, they sign our birth certificate, the doctor signs it, they think that's a good thing. That immediately plugs you into the system. So that's important to understand because it goes hand in hand with the understanding of what I just walked through about how America was a landmass. And we found ourselves in a bad situation and they made a really shitty deal <laughs> that we're still dealing with today. But in the podcast that you keep referencing, the two-part series, the reason that I'm making this is because I've been in this whole sovereignty, if you want to call it that now, um, space for um, uh, coming up on like two and a half years now. And the... What I see a lot of is people get lost in the sauce. There's so much you could potentially learn and things take time and there's endless amount of rabbit holes. And also this information has been around for a really long time. So you can just, you know, go through your mental masturbation all day long for years of learning this stuff. And I find people get caught up in not realizing that this is just really temporary. The reason sovereignty got popular again was just because of the COVID lockdowns. Right. No one gave a shit when the right. markets were pumping. No one, no one gave a fuck from 2011 to 2019. No one gave a shit because we had one of the best bull runs in history. Everyone's eaten. Employment's great. People are getting raises, vacations, distractions, Netflix, all of the things. No one gave a shit until the world shut down and they were like, oh, shit. I guess my conspiratorial friend was right who was trying to tell me about 9-11. <laughs> or whatever it may be. So that is why we've seen the reemergence of it. And this is when I've entered as well. So I, I acknowledge that there are a lot of um, OGs or old heads or whatever you would want to call them who have been teaching this since the eighties, like you said. Um, but my intent with that podcast is if you are new to this stuff, like some of your listeners who are going to go check it out, you're going to find yourself diving into a rabbit hole and you're going to be like, all right, this is it. You're going to think to yourself, this is it. <laughs> and while it can be it and it, it can be serious, it can seriously alter the trajectory of your life in a very positive way. 
Having said that, it's important to realize where we are macroeconomically. And I think this is where my content is unique. Most people who can speak on this law stuff, they're very fuck the system, woo woo. I live in a homestead, which is awesome, by the way, but I'm just painting a picture. Um, you know, I, I live in the sticks and I don't use internet, et cetera. And whereas I'm a lot more practical, um, I trade in the financial markets. I'm in the stock market. I'm not someone who just writes it off entirely because there's corruption there. You, I'm more about learn how the game is played and then play it. Um, so I'm in the crypto markets. I'm, so I'm doing a lot of these things that uh, people in the space uh, typically don't do. And I think that it's a needed um, message and a needed perspective because if you don't realize that this whole sovereignty thing is just a solution to something that happened about 120 years ago, then you might create a plan for your life that doesn't match where we're headed. And that's really what I transition into in part two of that episode. And the reason I wanted to get into how it came about, that was just so we have some basic things we can agree upon. But really my intent with the podcast, as you'll hear in part two, is where are we headed? One thing people really struggle with, and this is why investing is so hard for most people, is seeing the future. I mean, it's not easy, obviously. <laughs> no one knows, but you can study history. You can study human psychology. You can study trends. You can study cycles. You can study demographics, things of this nature. And one of my biggest theses that I'm always touching on in, inside my community and publicly is something called the fourth turning. Have you ever heard of this? Yes. Yes. So the fourth turning thesis is basically that demographics move in cycles. And we've seen this play out over the last 500 to 1,000 years, which is a really solid sample size. So every 20 to 30 years is a cycle. So first turning, second turning, third turning, fourth turning. So altogether, you're looking at 80 to 120 years. Well, you could say that our new macro turnings, uh, 80 to 120 year cycle started after World War II with the Bretton Woods Agreement. When they sat down and they hashed out the world powers, United States became uh, the world's reserve currency, NATO was formed, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That was 1945. Look where we're at right now, 2000, almost 23. We're at 78 years. So this is where I want to encourage people to focus more on because it's so easy. I'm sure you, you know a good amount about the nervous system, being involved in fitness and taking care of yourself. And you look great for what I can perceive your age is a bit, a bit older than mine. And um, so with the nervous system, one thing that I like to remind people of is when you're stuck in fight or flight, which is the response to stress, um, but it can be more chronic. It doesn't have to be that a bear's right next to you. Uh, most people are stuck in fight or flight just because of bills. They don't like their job. They feel stressed, et cetera. So if you're stuck in fight or flight, one of the things that your nervous system does is it only has you focus on what's right in front of you. Okay. You can't see expansively. That's why meditation is so valuable. Zoom out, get into the parasympathetic, right? So I think a lot that's a metaphor or more of a microcosm of what's going on here on a larger scale is people are so traumatized by what happened in 2020 and how their government's treating them and how things just seem to keep getting worse. And now we just had a, a missile 
fired at Poland or some shit. And it's like, it, things just seem to keep getting worse. Right. And you can get caught up in that. And if you get caught up in that, you're living in a very sympathetic space 24 seven. And it's really hard to zoom out and realize this has happened over and over and over in history. Yeah. The world's not ending, but people don't study history. And so they lose that perspective. That's a really good point. Yeah. I mean, nothing, nothing is new under the sun. And actually, mankind has been through even worse before, uh, if you think about it. But we do have new problems. Um, I mean, technology presents problems, but it presents mm -hmm. solutions, too. So, I mean, these are all things that we have to contend with in the in the now and everything. But I like how you pay attention to the history. And I think uh, in my lifetime, uh, speaking with people who do economics on any level, when they can talk about history and pull it into the present and use it uh, to the benefit of uh, somebody investing or whatever, I always think that those are the best uh, people uh, that I've ever worked with with finances so uh that's a tip of the hat to you for paying attention to history um people do not pay enough attention to what go what has happened in the past and you know you just uh, mentioned like brenton woods these are things that i'm aware of because even before the this covid bomb hit us i was already reading about or watching videos about that and becoming a, more and more aware and realizing what that was and all these other things, you know, these are all things that uh, I'm, I'm familiar with. And um, I know other people are too, but it seems like not enough. Right. So um, that's also great that you're providing really an action to this. So rather than this, just be like, Oh, do you know about this conspiracy that's going on? And, and boy, it, this is messed up. And with you're saying no well this is what's going on but now let's look at how we can move forward here as as individuals right mm -hmm. yeah my whole brand is about solutions there's nothing there's nothing that bothers me more than the person who wants to uh in the in the spiritual or healing space that i come from it's it can be referred to as trauma bonding it's like uh that old friend that you grew up with uh, back when you were, let's say you had a troubled past and you guys reconnect and they just want to talk about how fucked up life is and you bond over how fucked up life is. It's kind of like that. People just want to talk about how fucked the world is. They don't want to talk about solutions. They just want to feel bad for themselves. And, yeah. um, I just don't resonate with that. So that energy can't be near me. Um, I polarize by it. I repel it. And as far as how I run my life, as far as how I lead others, and as far as how I run my brand and all my free content, free education that I put out, everything is around solutions. I'll go as deep as you want into rabbit holes, but the conversation isn't over until it's very clear what can be done about that. And that's why sometimes people will want me to speak on something because it'll get um, attention, but then all of the comments will be misguided because they'll all be like uh, extrapolating things, trying to read between the lines of what they think I'm saying they should do. And it's like, no, those are horrible ideas. Don't do that. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, so my brand not only focuses on the law side, 
but it also focuses on the spiritual side because that's important. And it also focuses on the financial market sides because those are all solutions to the situation we find ourselves in. And most people are coming at it from a very singular myopic point of view. And I like to show people that there are many solutions to any problem and we should keep our options open. Um, it's just like chess, you know, like a chess master knows all the potential moves that they could potentially make in any given situation for the next 15 moves. And this, this game that we're in, whatever you want to call it, it's exactly like chess. When you talk about spirituality, uh, are you talking about any particular form of spirituality or do you think in general the term spirituality, because I know people practice different, they have different denominations right. and everything. Is that where we're at with, when you mention spirituality or are you, or are you more specifically speaking of one denomination or something? So when I use that word, I'm simply referencing a connection with something um, higher than yourself, whatever you deem to be your creator. And um, I'm specifically referencing uh, practices to help you get outside of your ego. So whatever that looks like. Um, for some people, that's called Christianity, and they view it as um, an actual white, male in a robe with long hair that's outside of them for other people they view it as this um, spirit inside of them for other people there's shrines etc um, i'm not one of those people that's has the audacity uh, to say i'm right you're wrong right like a lot, that's the issue we run into with a lot of religions <laughs> i'm right everyone else is wrong <laughs> i think that's really naive once again just study history how many religions have there been how many are there in existence you can't tell me that <laughs> every single one of them thinks they're right and the others are wrong there's something missing here so i've never had that perspective um call it what you want it doesn't need to I don't think that that's as important as uh, what it can, what it can and does do for you. So yeah, when I reference spirituality, it's almost like I'm just saying a set of tools and worldviews that allow you to be at peace, allow you to see outside of your eye construct, your ego, who's always trying to protect you, but can also really lead to you leading a, a, a limited life of fear. And, um, being able to just just like let things go being able to heal being able to grow um reflection these types of things they're missing in today's society yes i agree with that and and just going back to what you were just saying about everybody pointing at each other and saying i'm right you're wrong even if that was true even if one of these groups was right and the rest were wrong mm. pointing it out doesn't help anybody no Right, it doesn't help. No, all that does is bring bring the other party's ego out <laughs> to right. defend. So it's a it's a, a pointless pursuit. Yes, and that's and that's. I'm glad you pointed that out. It's a waste of time. It doesn't matter how right you think you are about anything. Mm -hmm. If you keep trying to drive the conversation based upon you being the one that's right and everybody else being wrong, you will go no place in fact you will go backwards so as far as leadership is concerned knowing how to hold that back and i guess that again goes to checking your ego right 
Yep. Yeah, I was I was raised um very strict Christian. I was raised in the church, etc. Um but I I walked away from that as a teenager and rebelled hard and saw all the hypocrisy and et cetera, et cetera, and blamed uh, my parents and the church for ultimately what I came to learn is just man's flawed nature, right? So it wasn't God's fault, whatever that is. It wasn't the Bible's fault or lacking. It was the interpretations. It was the humans translate, right? So it's, it always came back to that. And in the same sense as it would be uh, very ignorant of me to think I'm right, every, everyone else with any other belief is wrong. It, it was also very ignorant of me to um, blame whatever creator brought me into this existence for, you know, my issues with my parents and how they lived that path or my issues with the church and how they lived that path or whatever it may have been. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a journey for me. Um, I've tried the whole religious thing. I don't identify as a religion, as an adult. Um, I think it's much more important about um, you're connecting with the part of yourself that we all have. And it can be as simple as that. If that works for you, then go with it. If you need, like you said, the man in the white robes, uh, yeah. the word in the Bible or mm -hmm. whatever, then that that's what – but the goal is to um, check the ego so that way you can move forward in a way that not only helps yourself, but it, it keeps you in an alignment with what is naturally good in the world. Yeah, a lot of it is about um, emotional and nervous system regulation. You know, you can get you can get those things from you know cold immersion, breath work, yoga, the sauna, but it's not the same. Those are those are working on your nervous system, and they are altering your physiology. But meditation is one of the only experiences where you can cease to be the personality you've been in the driver's seat of your entire life. And the first time someone has an experience like that, uh, where they're no longer them, they're no longer all the things that you identify with. I'm a man. I'm, a I'm athletic. My name's John. I live in Missouri. I have a wife and three kids. I don't like my life. All of those things you identify with go away. That is transformative to say the least. And I would have never i would not be here in any capacity i would not have a public brand i would not be in a position of leadership if i wasn't i mean i've been doing those practices since for about eight years now and they've greatly shaped who i am the opportunities i've brought into my life i mean even the simple question of a lot of times i get asked like i'm 30 now but dude you're, you're 25 how do you know all this? Right. Well, because I go to deep places inside of myself and I ask deep questions and then I just ask whatever you want to call it, God, the universe, creator, my higher self, whatever the words you want to use. It's not important for, in my opinion. I would ask them to reveal to me 
the next step of this whatever it was i was i was kind of inquiring about or to reveal to me um an opportunity in this realm or to bring something into my life or whatever it may be and i mean it happens every time without miss so you know it might sound weird but i'm only here because the creator led me here um and that's exactly how i live my life i am not in the pilot seat it's uh i get instructions and i live them out that's great i, I you know it um it relaxes you because you now you don't beat yourself up right for saying, well, look, uh, I made a lot of mistakes. I did this. I, I could be in a better place. Why did I do that? Why did I make this decision? Instead, you're saying, I'm here right now because the creator put me here. And it just cuts it down to something very simple. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people, though, hearing that the first time, it's, there's a there's a rebellion to what you're saying. There's a resistance because it, sure. it's saying, well, I'm not in control, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do you deal – now, maybe this is where you uh, you get into your level up collective. Is this um, – are we kind of nipping around the edges of that? Well – Or what is that level up collective? The level up – so let me say this. I've mentioned a few times that I've had a, a number of different online services businesses. And um, in every single thing I've ever done, the foundation of it is spirituality. And I didn't intend for it to be like that. As you can see, I, I don't, I'm not some like um, yogi with dreads who doesn't shower or anything like that. Um, I'm very practical. And I think that throws people off at how I look and how I come off and I'm teaching on, you know, making a lot of money. Hell yeah. And I think that meditation is extremely important. Um, Ray Dalio, the, the wealthiest um, hedge fund manager in the world, has the most assets under management. He's one of the wealthiest people in the world. He's massive proponent of transcendental meditation. So was Steve Jobs. And so, you know, I've just been studying the 1% and I've noticed that they all have practices to get out of their own way. And so if you're listening to this and you're feeling resistance, ask yourself, are you getting the results you want in life right now? If so, then don't change anything. My advice is always and has always been for the those who are can at least be honest enough with themselves. And I know that can be hard for more um, manly men, whatever that means, to drop the ego. But if if you're okay and happy with your life, then you don't need to change anything. But if you're not, it's very naive of you, um, very arrogant of you to not consider opening your mind and at least trying something different because yes. I know for myself, the times when I insist, I, 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 I know what's right. I know what's best. That's a shield because I'm actually fucking terrified because I don't know what the hell I'm doing and I'm acting, I'm overcompensating, right? It's the 300-pound 300, 300 dude who's juiced to the gills. It's like, dude, just sit. Get in therapy. 
address your childhood. <laughs> you don't need to be that big. You're going to die at 48. <laughs> so, uh, in level up in your level up collective, yeah, are you want me you, to talk about that a bit? Yeah, if if you don't mind, just so people know what they could find there. And mm -hmm. go ahead. Yeah. So, um, as I shared, the level up collective has been. It's basically it's my life's work. It's all that I do now. So, it it grows with me, and I grow very fast. I'm an unorthodox person. I have a lot of time freedom and my number one core value in life is evolution and growth. So having said that, what the LUC is now to most people and the, the easiest way that we explain it is it is a financial freedom mastermind. Now I call it conscious wealth because that's the best and easiest way to explain what is different about me as a teacher and a leader versus most any, I don't know if you, you or your audience follows finance pages, but very surface level, egotistical, just really the content is all only about money, right? It's what this stock did or how to get a 5x on this or it's just very surface level it's implying at an unconscious level that all that matters in life is money and when you get a lot of money one of the first things you realize and one of the hardest letdowns is that it doesn't feel as good as you think and when you sit with yourself you find that you told yourself all these stories that the reason you were never happy in life is because you were poor. And when it finally came, now you have, you don't have that excuse anymore because you're not poor and you're still not happy. So that really fucks people up. That's why sometimes multimillionaires kill themselves. You see it a lot with rappers and celebrities and sometimes hedge fund managers and stuff like that. So anyway, it's important that I explain that because the spiritual component is always tied into everything that I do. Having said that, the LUC is not some spiritual program. It's just, it's, it's a lens through which I teach. Hopefully that is starting to make sense now. Whatever question you ask me, it's going to have some aspect of me understanding first principles of spirituality. Um, but what the LUC is, we help people with um, achieving wealth. Now, what are people's biggest issues when it comes to wealth? Well, number one, well, there's obviously the personal finance aspect of it, but outside of that, most people are in a shitload of debt, right? So we help people with debt discharge. That's where consumer law comes in. A lot of people are still in student loan debt, auto loan debt, credit card debt, bad spending habits, right? We help people clear and eliminate debt. That's life-changing for a lot of people, right? 50000 75000 That's more than a lot of people make in a whole year. So eliminating that is a big deal. We also then help people once we eliminate the debt or around kind of these two are at the same time, um, repair their credit. So a lot of people don't understand credit. They don't value credit. They don't check their credit because, you know, it's kind of like when you don't have money in your bank account, you don't want to look when your fight goes shit. You don't want to look. 
because you got, you know, this collections from seven years ago, you got a few late payments from four years ago. You're like, fuck. So I'm just going to just not look at it. We help people clean their credit and get their credit into the 700s. And then we help them optimize their credit and go through a round of funding. So essentially, as you can see, I'm not just some random like sovereignty guy. <laughs> uh, this is all financial literacy, right? I've had many different mentors, some of which came from uh, the big banks and he taught me a lot of the loopholes. And ultimately as a package, I'll give you the bullet point list. People come into the LUC, we help them eliminate their debt. Then we help them repair their credit. Then we help them optimize their credit so they can get the most funding possible from the underwriters at the banks. Then once they get all of that credit, we teach something called manufactured spending, which is a, a loophole to convert credit into cash. So imagine having a bunch of credit cards. You try to use that as cash. They're going to do what's called a cash advance fee, right? Usually that's some crazy numbers, like 24% or something they're going to charge you. So we teach how to do that for 0%, just convert it into cash. Then invest that into the right assets. Now we're thinking like the 1%, my friend. Remember when I was talking about how I've been studying the 1%? What does the 1% do? They leverage other people's money and they invest it, don't they? Yeah. Do they ever use their own money? Fuck Never. no. no. Fuck no. <laughs> Are they broke on paper? They don't have money. They don't use money. They borrow money and they invest it. And when they need more, they borrow more. That's what we teach. It took me a long time to figure out how I could do that in my own way. Because typically you only hear about this in real estate, right? Real estate, real estate, real estate, because it's get a loan from the bank, buy a property. But I sat with myself and I realized real estate isn't my lane. I've never owned real estate. I'd like to, but I'm just honest enough to realize that this is not my lane. I don't have the proficiency there. But what I am pretty good at is stocks, particularly options. I don't know if you know what that is, and crypto. So we apply the same principles to paper assets, which also are way more realistic for people because, you know, how many people are realis realistically going to be like quite successful at real estate investing? It's a lot of work. You got to be like pretty damn entrepreneurial. You're meeting with banks, underwriters. You have to be contracting your own repairmen, cleaners, all of that, right? Refinancing, like that's intimidating versus it's just like, here's how you pull the money off. Here's our recommended, you know, positions to put in and teaching, giving them an education on technical analysis, fundamental analysis, macroeconomic analysis, and all of these things that go into intelligently buying assets at the right prices and then selling them at the right prices. Um, so that's the gist of, of what we do in a more like sequential aspect but there's just so much that goes into it because obviously i don't just hand people shit and they don't know what they're doing so it's a full education because you need to understand how things work right the why before you can be proficient at the what so we're not only you know us hand holding the whole way through of getting the debt off uh repairing the credit getting the funding pulling it off, investing it, but we're also teaching. I'm, I'm a, if you haven't noticed, <laughs> I'm, I'm a teacher. I just, I like to teach. I, yeah. I like to learn and then I like to teach it. It's a yeah. hack as well. Right. That's really cool. As soon as, you, as soon as you can teach something, you, you learn it at a way deeper level. 
Um, right. So this yeah. is just a beautiful life. And, you know, I, I've worked very hard and I ate shit for many years, you know, living with my mom below my means because um, this path meant a lot to me and I didn't want to do anything else. And I, I really like to just spend my days learning and then I practice, I apply it, I, I get some results and then I, and then I teach others how I did that. Now you mentioned crypto and, um, right now it's, uh, November, uh, 16th. And then, you know, we find out a couple, like two weeks ago, or whatever FTX, right. Yeah. That holds mm -hmm. uh, crypto FTX. If anybody listening, you don't know what it is. It's basically a Ponzi scheme, tons of money, uh, taxpayer dollars being rerouted out to the Ukraine. And then Zelensky, President Zelensky, investing that money into FTX. And then FTX turns around and donates the money back to the government, um, which is pretty wild. And now they... They're insolvent, and it looked like they had no money whatsoever. Yeah. And the reason why I bring this up is because that doesn't mean crypto is a bad thing, right? So somebody was doing bad stuff. And what is your message to somebody about crypto? If they're you're if you know you say you help, you would like to invest in crypto. Maybe other people are thinking about it, but they're thinking about running out the door right now. They're saying crypto. This guy's crazy. Do you see how bad? Can you just talk about that a little bit? Yeah, a few things I could say. Number one, Warren Buffett's most famous quote of all time related to investing goes something along the lines of, I don't invest my money until there's blood in the streets. Mm -hmm. So when everyone else is at peak fear is when the sharks smell blood and that's when they like to enter. And... um if you guys aren't picking up on it yet, all that I do is I study the sharks and then I model them. So I'm not a whale. In the finance world, we call big money whales, right? Because they, when they enter the pool, there's a big splash. <laughs> That's why they're called whales. Well, I'm just like a little, a little minnow that's swimming, you know, alongside of that. How about a piranha? Yeah, yeah. There you go. Okay. Uh, so, so I'm just one of those fish swimming alongside them. Um, yeah. But I'm watching them and I'm modeling them and I'm studying them and I don't always do what they do, um, but I'm definitely paying attention to it and always asking myself, why are they doing that? And if you study the best investors of all time, um, what you'll see is uh, at a super simple level. It's, it's so simple. It's so simple. It's annoying. All they're good at is buying when everyone else is afraid and selling when everyone else is euphoric. That's all they do. They, they just, they don't lose their head. And um, I'm really good at buying when everyone else is afraid. I'm, I need to improve on selling when everyone else is euphoric. It's hard to tell market tops. Um, so anyway, that's part of it is understanding that big money always invests when there's blood in the streets. And there's definitely blood in the streets right now. So do with that what you will. Having yeah. said that, is there going to be more blood in the streets? Yeah. So there's no rush, but there is blood in the streets. So uh, starting to deploy is never a bad idea. This is not financial advice, of course. Of course. Um, so yeah, so that's a piece of it. And uh, to the person who's kind of scared of crypto and all that, look, this isn't 
anything specific to crypto in regards to the issue. This is once again, an issue of human nature. Humans are always going to tend towards two extremes, fear and greed. So much so that there's an, an economic uh, index indicator that you can use called the fear and greed index. Have you seen that? No, I didn't even know this thing. Yeah, existed. so it's so if you want to keep things extremely simple, like so simple you'd never even look at a chart or try charting, you can just look at the fear and greed index. And when the when we start to get up, let's say I believe it's out of a hundred, um, when we start to get say seventy percent up, right? So when we're seventy out of a hundred, it's time to start taking money off the table. 80 out of 100, time to start taking money off the table. And when we're down 10, 15, 20, it's time to load the boat. It doesn't need to be that complicated. It, investing is hard because we're not robots, right? We're, we're really emotional and we think this time will be different or I'm different and that's where we go wrong. <laughs> so um, yeah, so as far as crypto, this is just an issue of fear and greed and um, this is what happens when you have unregulated financial markets. And that might sound interesting coming from me because I'm all about uh, freedom and sovereignty. And <laughs> I guess right, right. I, I think all the political parties are um, nothing more than entertainment. But it, I guess you would group me with what they call libertarian. Um, but having said all that, I'm also a capitalist. I'm an investor and I'm an entrepreneur. And I understand that without regulation, Big money, the whales, they aren't touching crypto. Now you could say, well, they're they're the ones causing a lot of these issues. Yeah, I understand. But I mean like the real whales, like Saudi money, like trillions pouring in. The Saudis, they won't touch, they won't touch it. People like uh Ray Dalio, he's barely touching it. So so a lot of the biggest money in the world. People are confused. They think that retail investors move markets. We don't even phase the markets. It, it, all the market moves are, are big money. So if they're not willing to invest in asset classes, then we're not going to get this generational bull run that we're all counting on. So regulation has to happen or they're not going to risk trillions and trillions of dollars on an asset that they already view as highly speculative and extremely volatile. Um, so I think that this this FTX event was the black swan that was needed to um, force, I mean, it was already coming, but force regulation. And unfortunately, because people don't know how to read contracts, it's another realm that we teach on is contract law. People don't know how to read contracts. And um, I can assure you, some of these contracts, some of these um, laws and statutes that they're going to pass as they regulate crypto are going to have some central bank digital currencies and some really sketch shit baked in there wrapped underneath things that pretty much the majority will agree with and support. And so they'll vote it in and people will be cheering for it, but in the fine print, um, it's probably going to shift us more towards a, a surveillance capitalism. Uh, okay. Uh, that's That was going to be kind of my uh, wind-down question, which is not a really good wind-down question. <laughs> yeah. Let's wind down and <laughs> keep you up late at night, unable to sleep. <laughs> but you – so you feel that uh, we're going to be looking at digital currency, the, the dollar, paper money gone – 
and basically they're going to be controlling everything we buy and they could actually manipulate us um you know keep us in line if you will by turning off the tap when they want to is this generally how you are seeing it too yeah and i want to clarify that for <laughs> as weird as this is about to sound i'm not pessimistic at all <laughs> I, don't, I didn't get the sense you were and that's why yeah. i really did want to ask this question as a wind out question because i think this is the biggest thing on everybody's mind yeah and uh maybe you're the guy maybe you're the guy that people could get some advice so off of um on how to navigate what's coming mm -hmm. up um so you know i guess if that's the case um can you briefly just tell us like you know why aren't you feeling pessimistic? Yeah. So first off, there's so many, there's so many uh, lenses through which I could speak to this. I view the world holistically. I think that in any conversation and in any topic, it's important to look at it from every angle. And so one key lens that I see here is the historical lens we talked about. So. I've noticed an inverse relationship between those who carry the most fear directly relating to those who study the least history. One of the hardest parts about being human is coping with the fact that we're the only species alive that is aware of its own death coming. Right. So we have this existential angst from the moment where we have an egoic construct around six or seven that we know we're going to die. And I think that we cope with that in very, very unique ways. And one of the most effective ways I've found to cope with that is to study history. It's really easy to project your existential angst, which I just want to clarify because half your listeners right now are like, this dude's off the rocker. That doesn't have anything to do with the question. It does. This is, I've been sitting with myself for eight years. So the things that seem like they make sense at first glance are usually your ego and are usually rationalizations. And when you really get to the root of things, almost everything we do as humans we do because we're terrified of death everything mating behavior capitalism why is elon trying to get us to mars he's terrified of death why do they want us to merge with ai we're fucking terrified why are we so into anti-aging and makeup and beauty because we're fucking terrified to die so all of that i gotta tell you I, i'm getting goosebumps right now because i I started to realize this about all these people, Bill Gates and everybody. And mm. yes, they're, they want to live the most forever. Scared. Yes. That's because, why they want to freeze themselves and all that. Yeah. Yeah. And upload their consciousness yeah. to, to a mainframe somewhere. And, mm -hmm. and it is, it's, they're on the verge of insanity. Mm -hmm. So yes, uh, sorry to interrupt, but um, yeah, yeah. I totally agree with you on that, but mm -hmm. please continue with where you were. Yeah. So that's a part of, that's a part of us. That's a part of what it means to be human. It's, you know, we're blessed with this ability to think something, to envision it, and we can use our hands and create it out there. That's an insane gift. 
But the downside of it is that that same mechanism is why we're aware we're going to die. So there's innate, there's innate suffering in that. Um, and that's where the spiritual practices come in, but I'm going to stay on path. So studying history allows us to cope with the unknown because right now today is November 16th and it's 11.07 AM for me. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen next week. And I sure as hell don't know what's going to happen next decade. I don't even know if I'll be here. And at an unconscious, like very, uh, at a level most are not aware of, there's an angst to that. There's a tension. There's a clinging. There's a trying to control things. And that is the real reason. So what I'm getting at is that that is the real reason people are pessimistic about the future. They're afraid to die and they're clinging. So we can't have a real conversation about this stuff. It's like, Jeremy, just asked you about the financial markets. I didn't want to hear all this. I know you don't want to hear this, but it's true. <laughs> so the truth is, and why I'm so big on sitting with yourself, all of our issues in life come back to our own mortality. And if you can start to sit with that, you'll find that the issues in the world aren't that big of a deal. The reason it's so scary when you hear news about Russia and Ukraine, or it's so scary when they shut the world down, is because that is a microcosm reminding you that you could die. Why did COVID traumatize so many people? Why were people wearing three masks looking like an idiot? Because you were reminded, they scared you that yeah. you could die. And yeah. that is most people's biggest fear that they refuse to sit with. And so that's a big piece of this conversation. Like, why aren't I pessimistic? Well, because I'm not afraid to die. Okay. And let me, let me go on to clarify. I don't think I'm going to die. This isn't heading into a bad space, but I needed to walk us through all of that because there's something about life that things don't turn around for us until we surrender. There's something about it. When we try to control our way through life, we create dis-ease. We get stuck. We get angry. We get heavy. But when we can find something, religion, psychedelics, spirituality, love, having a child, something that can allow us to let go and surrender, life gets a lot better. And so I think that that's a big piece of the conversation here is that I've done a lot of work around surrendering and the irony and the paradox that I want to make sure your listeners hear me loud and clear on this because I'm not a kamikaze warrior who's trying to die right now. I'm not. The irony is that because I've sat with that and accepted it, I'm free and I don't feel I'm going to die. And there's not fear around that. And that allows me to move in the face of fear and adversity. When a lot of people around me are frozen, like in 2020, that was the best year of my life, financially and spiritually. Because while most people froze and they didn't know what the hell was happening, I had prepared myself for this internally. And so I think that's a really big piece of this conversation here. But to be a little bit more practical, most of the answer outside of that just lies in studying history and understanding that we're ending, we're ending a regime. We're ending a regime in which we are currently 
we have been since all the history we talked about since let's say 1900 ish 1910 ish right around that time we've been controlled by the same families and america is not america it is owned by europe and we're entering a space because of the federal reserve that they set up and everything like that that it has it's nearing its end it's a really old horse the trick of the federal reserve they're a one trick pony it's called quantitative easing right it's not working anymore right it's not working they just printed 40% of our monetary supply ever i heard it was 60 so in I'll, a I'll go year, by you. I'll go by you. Yeah, no, in a year it was just over 40. It was like 41 or 42% in 12 months. Okay. Since but think about when it was created. Yeah. So 40% over a 100-year time span oh. is insane. Yes. And so they printed that and less than 18 months later, we're in a recession. Right. <laughs> that money <laughs> didn't really help. We went up and straight back down. So we're nearing the end of a macro business cycle. We're nearing the end of a global power regime. We're nearing the end of the Fed working very effectively. And we're also, this overlaps perfectly with the fourth turning. And that's why it's like what you were talking about earlier. I like to look at things through a lot of different perspectives. And when they start to all tell me the same story, Something starts to go off in my head that's like, all right, you need to go deeper into this. And I try to find perspectives to prove it wrong. And it's been really difficult to find perspectives that don't overlay with all, all roads are leading to, you know, a systemic change. And that might be a change in world order. I don't think that we're there quite yet. But we are starting to see Russia and China and India rise up as contenders. But I don't want to go into that. But I do think on a monetary and control lens, I don't know if the Fed will cease to exist in the next decade or two. A lot of people are now aware, even if they're not aware of the rabbit holes of like Jekyll Island and all that. A lot of people are aware that this institution and its sole goal is supposed to be to keep inflation at an average of 2% a year. This organization is horrible at its job. And it's one trick quantitative easing doesn't work anymore because right. we're nearing the 100 year macro cycle where they've printed, they printed, they printed, they printed. The dollar is so devalued that the trick doesn't work anymore. It's not the same. It's like you're... 200th time um, smoking weed or something versus your first. It's right. just not the same. You're chasing that original high and it's never going to be the same for you. So we're addicted in that same sense. And, um, you know, wrapping all of that up, I think if you can wrap your head around the fourth turning theories, you look at where we're at in terms of historical timeline and you realize the Fed was created just over 100 years ago. You see that their tricks, they're not working anymore. You see that global mis or sorry, um, societal mistrust is at peak levels, right? Polarization between the left and the right is at peak levels. Mistrust in the mainstream media is at peak levels. I mean, we saw the capital stormed because they didn't believe that the, that the counting the ballots was correct. That's the level of mistrust we're at. Right. That is a fourth turning right there. And fourth turnings are real rocky. And they usually end in a civil war or a type of war or a revolution. And, I mean, if you look around, it kind of seems like we're 
we're in the midst of a, of a serious revolution. But uh, the last thing I'll lay in there is if you can kind of start to see like, yeah, I kind of could see the, the Fed kind of ceasing to exist. If, I mean, its sole purpose is it's just supposed to loan the government money and it's supposed to do its job well enough to where we have stability and balance around 2%. We don't have stability. It's volatile as shit. <laughs> they send us on these crazy greed runs and then they send us on these depressionary things that right. fuck people up. And I think they're tired of having that. And so I think the the master plan is pivoted to... I think they might sell out the Fed and kind of present themselves as this white horse, right? Try to come in on the white knight and be like, here's the real solution. We're going to do away with the Fed and everyone's going to, yeah, cheer, right? Because that, think about it, all of a sudden that'll make the government seem trustworthy. They'll like, could potentially demonize the Fed, even though they're, they're part of it. And then showcase the central bank digital currencies as the solution and everyone will cheer and vote it in i think that that's a one of my like five probable outcomes okay yeah um i was that's a that's a good one and i think that sounds very right on the money and what i've been thinking all along myself has been um that things are just going to get so bad they're going to offer a solution and everybody's just going to dive on it yeah because they want to get out of the hellhole that they're in they're, everybody's just going to be very uncomfortable and, and scared and like you said they're going to play on people's fears and they're going to sign up and there's not going to be any pushback and isn't it ironic that the federal reserve was originally created at least this is what they said i guess this is how they sold it to the public they were tired of the boom and bust cycles that yeah. were going on. And they were like, this is going to fix that. And it ended up down the line, boom and bust cycles anyway. Yeah. Which is interesting. And maybe this would be a, a good topic for a, a future podcast that you could do. I don't know, but um, the natural order of way things work, right? They Here comes man saying, well, we don't like boom and bust cycles. We're going to intervene and we're going to be smarter yes. and we're yeah. going to manipulate, turn the dials, flip the levers. And in the end, no matter how hard they try to steer this ship, it just goes right back to boom and bust regardless. Yeah, and you can't change human nature. That's what it is. It's too, it's too overriding. So uh, we are potentially looking at the possibility of losing more and more freedom, especially if they go to this digital bank currency. But human nature maybe will prevail in the long run because people will start to yearn for their freedom again and something will change. We can yep. only hope, right? Yeah, so I, I highly encourage all of any listeners who are list still listening or still watching thus far that enjoyed the conversation. The Fourth Turning is an extremely short book. You could even get it on audiobook, which is what I did. Listen to it a number of times because it's loaded, but very quick read. I highly encourage that, especially for anyone with any degree of angst about the future. Uh, there's, you know, characteristic traits of a Fourth Turning, and you know they're not comfortable. Um, things get a little sketch, but they're necessary the same way a winter you know is when storms happen and it's gloomy and the sun goes away and it's cold and it sucks but 
that brings spring and everyone loves spring but they hate winter but there's no spring without winter and this goes back to exactly people are so disconnected from natural and universal laws that we try to create these vacuums in life and it, it just doesn't work so we have to go through what we're going through right now and on the other side a first turning well i want you to think about the 60s that was the first turning just so you understand um, i wasn't alive for that uh, my parents were but um that was what acid was legal for multiple years that was the creation for anyone in the spiritual space um that was when ram das and, and timothy leary uh became known and um that was the free love movement that was woodstock and that was all of that and so that was a hell of a peaceful prosperous time to be alive um but then you know it only lasts for a period of time and then we go into other cycles and so we just so happen to be in a hell of a cycle right now uh but on the other side of a fourth turning is always a first turning so it's not yeah i don't from that lens as well i don't i don't view it apocalyptically i think that yeah there's going to be things that for citizens that don't understand um that they don't have rights they have privileges when you accept being a statutory u.s citizen you have privileges and um privileges can be like for example the money that you got during 2020 uh that was a privilege and so you gladly accepted that but people don't realize what comes with that in the back door when they read the fine print and um same thing here there's probably like you said i think that's very likely that they let the economy get to a point where people are really desperate and in a real bad place and then they come out like the savior with some sort of free something or socialist something and um yeah i do think that that's likely and when they accept that which they will just like they did during 2020 everyone talks shit about the government but they'll they'll give me that card <laughs> um there are things that come with that that you may not understand contractually so for me personally i don't contract with the united states corporation um when they send me for whatever reason uh whether it's free money or a card or whatever it gets cut up and thrown away um if you spend that you're consenting yeah. to some things that you may not realize so that's a whole other rabbit hole um you know we don't need to get into that now but yeah i think that um I think there's never been a more important time for financial literacy. There's never been a more important time to learn about the actual history of the system you were born into. And there's never been a more important time to start learning about what are the best potential solutions for like, like I said earlier, I've narrowed it down to like three to five potential ways they could go preparing simple approaches for okay if they do this i'm gonna do this if they do this i'm gonna do this it's just like chess or a fighter or something like that yeah. it's just you got to be playing defense if you're not playing defense out here <laughs> you're really not gonna like the next few decades i mean the rest of your life <laughs> You're really not going to like the way things are going if you're not playing defense. Yeah. yeah. But I want to clarify that the way I live and the way that we live is a level of freedom most can't fathom. Um, 
and I'm not speaking like financially, monetarily. Um, that's maybe a lot of people would take, yeah, but that's not realistic for me. But I'm speaking because if you study the law and you learn the law, there are ways that you can move. There are things that you can do. There are contracts you can rescind. There are contracts you can declare, put on the record that remove you from the control and oppression of the United States corporation. And that is a lot of what I talk about in some of my content, which you alluded to right. is we've got the in God we trust, which is a trust with real clever name. <laughs> they got you us all saluting to it and directly under that, that owns, right? Cause trusts typically own other assets that owns the United States corporation. And what does the United States corporation own us? So in a way you're owned by that little in God we trust that's signified on the back of our, our fiat. Yeah, that is uh, incredible stuff. And, you know, anybody listening, you know, check out Jeremy's Instagram real quick. Go there and see all the, the cool stuff he puts up. Really good stuff. Very informative. Um, that's where I got most of my questions from. I just read your – I just went to your Instagram and, and I was like, oh, this is something cool to talk about. This is something interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and that would be at official underscore – Jay Griff, Jeremy Griffin, Jay Griff. And um, yes, feel free to contact him uh, if you have any questions. And Jeremy, any, you know, th thank you for coming on and taking the time to talk about everything that we talked about. I think it's really important that we have these discussions and know where to turn um, if we if we need help, if we need answers, because I just it, we like you said, it's so volatile now. Just going into the, you know, on your like Googling financial guy near me and just getting some guy that does, uh, he, you know, past 40 years, he's just been doing whatever kind of um, <laughs> financial investments and he doesn't tap into the stuff that you're talking about. I think you're just going to be following the path the where the herd is going right off the yes. cliff, right? Yeah. <laughs> and you said it yourself. And, and this is what uh, I think everybody can appreciate in my audience that you're an unorthodox guy, just like the steel mace is an unorthodox fitness tool. Mm -hmm. That's, that's the connection right there. Let's just leave it at that, man. <laughs> cool, Thank man. you for coming on. Uh, feel free to hit me up anytime you want to come back on and, and, and talk shop. I'm always available for conversations about this stuff. Cool, man. Yeah. I'd love to do a part two. This is great. You asked really solid questions. All right. Great. Appreciate Thank it. you. Thanks, man. Appreciate all everything that you're doing. Thank you, everybody, awesome, for brother. listening. And we'll see you at the next one. Bye, guys. Hey, everybody. If you're looking for new fitness equipment to add to what you have and you want to find something that really complements the steel mace that you're swinging already, consider going with freedomstrength.us. They have strongman sandbags, throwing sandbags, uh, all kinds of lifting gear. They have training sandbags, resistance bands, and weight vests, and they have apparel. And if you use the discount code SMN10 at checkout, you're going to get 10% off. You're going to help support the podcast, and you're going to help support a good American company right in Pennsylvania, U.S. of A. So check out freedomstrength.us.